Well, I guess, first of all, I should thank you guys for coming to church today. It's always lean on this particular weekend, though I must say, the first service was almost full, which is not a normal thing for the first service, so I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful that you're here. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, so we'll be in chapter 9 of John's Gospel account, chapter 9, if you'd turn there in your Bibles. We're going to look at the first 12 verses, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Therefore, the neighbors of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I'm he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes open? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Father, we pray that as we look at these 12 verses today that you would give us um, application. Lord, we Believe what your word says, that it's alive, that it, it divides, it speaks, it transforms our thinking. There's always application. It doesn't matter where we are in your word, Lord. As your children, as your people, uh, there's always application for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would draw out the application for each one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you look at this and you say, well, so Jesus opened the eyes of a blind person. That's what he did. That's what he does. Jesus opens the eyes of blind people. In fact, we have an account where he did a twofer. <laughs> he did, he healed, he opened the eyes of two blind men on one occasion, you know. And I'll tell you, if we approach the scriptures or uh, the miracles of Jesus in that way and, and, and just kind of think, well, you know, that's what Jesus did. He cleansed lepers. He drove out demons out of people who were demon-possessed. He healed, you know, those who were lame and opened the eyes of the blind. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does. If we're not careful, we'll miss the finer details of what we see in the scripture and how each miracle of Jesus was unique. Each miracle of Jesus served a purpose, and it wasn't always just meeting the physical needs of the person in need. 
You'll note that it says, as Jesus passed by. He, he passes by, he's with his disciples. This chronologically follows what we read, what we saw, what we studied in chapter 8. He passes by, he sees a man who is blind from birth. Now guys, when you read the scriptures, it's important to kind of stop and think in your mind and ask questions. How did they know that he was blind from birth? No, the easy answer would be, well, Jesus knew everything. And so obviously he knew that the man was blind, uh, born blind, and, and so that's how he knew. And, and if you take that approach, and surely Jesus knows all things and knew all things, then you might picture Jesus speaking kind of off to the side with his disciples, and, and maybe he said, hey guys, see that guy over there begging? Yeah, Jesus. You know, he's born blind. Keep your eyes on him. You're going to be wowed. If you take that approach, I mean, maybe it went down like that. It doesn't tell us specifically. But when I read it, I wonder if Jesus did not approach the man. I most almost imagine him just from other scriptures, other gospel account uh, uh, scriptures that we have of how Jesus would approach people that were in need, that were lame or blind or, you know, lepers. You know, he'd reach out and touch a leper. I mean, who would do something like that? Well, Jesus did that. But I almost imagine Jesus going up to the man. Maybe he touches him on the head. The man could probably sense that there was someone standing there. Maybe he could even sense that there was more than one person standing there. Maybe Jesus reached out. He touched his head. Maybe he said to the man, how long have you been in this condition? How long have you been blind? And the man says, from birth. I almost imagine if that's how it went down, then this conversation, this question that the disciples had for Jesus took place in front of the man. The man was blind. He wasn't deaf. So the man was able to listen. And perhaps he heard the question from the disciples saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Someone should be responsible, you know. Um, well, I lived through the 80s. I'm glad that my youth was in the 70s before kind of the mentality of the 80s came along. I was able to, you know, <laughs> escape the bullet of self-esteem that was sold to the masses, especially in our country. In the 80s, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. Your parents, your overbearing mother, your unaffectionate father, he's the reason you're in this condition. And the victim mentality says, yes, that's true. I'm just a victim in all of this. Oh, man, that's a dangerous place to be because it doesn't line up with what the scriptures teach. Who sinned? This man, well, he was born blind. How could you sin before you're born? He was born blind, so let's eliminate him. Or his parents. Did his parents do something deserving of a blind child? You know, uh, Christians, we kind of adapt the, to the 
culture around us. And, um, and we kind of uh, adopt certain terms or certain words that are used in the culture around us. You know, we hear people and many Christians even say things like this. Um, he's got bad karma. Well, karma is not a biblical truth. It is a Hindu philosophy. So the idea is in Hinduism, you know, you have reincarnation. So you see a man, especially you go to India, and it's even that way today. You go to India, you see a man blind, he's begging, you see a woman crippled, she's there on the street. If you're a Hindu, if you're a local, if you bought into the philosophy of Hinduism, you don't help the person, you walk by. Why? Because they're working out their bad karma from a former life. They're in this condition because in their former life or lives, they really messed up. So now they're paying for it in this life. What a horrible, horrible belief system. Jesus answers their question in verse 3, and he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, this does not take away from the universal sinfulness of humanity, obviously. He's just simply saying that there is not a specific prayer that led to this man's blindness. I mean, Jesus could have easily have said, and it would have been biblically true and sound, that, that um, everyone sinned. The man sinned, the parents sinned, their neighbors sinned, everyone sinned. But of course, he wasn't talking about the universal reality of sinfulness. He was speaking of this specific fellow and he says, look what he says, but that, the, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Wait a minute. He was born like this so that one day you would come along, open his eyes so that the, so that the works of God should be revealed in him. Yep. Now that doesn't settle well with us, humans. We say, that's not fair. Think of all those years. How old was the guy? Was he in his 20s? Was he in his 30s? Was he older than that? That's not fair. It's not fair that God would create a person blind just so he could, in his incarnation, come along and open his eyes so that the works of God should be revealed in him. It's not fair. Do you know when Paul wrote to the Romans, he wrote a similar thing in Romans chapter 9 and verses 21 through 23. He says, does not the potter, remember Jeremiah, we see the potter. The potter was God. The clay was the, the vessel, the human that he was dealing with or humans that he was dealing with. And so Paul kind of takes up that theme. He says, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor, another vessel for dishonor? And then he asks a hypothetical question. Calvinists love this one. They say, see, God created some for destruction. It says, what if? It's a hypothetical. What if God, wanting to show his wrath, 
and to make his power known, look what it says, endured with, with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What if? I think that's what we're seeing today, by the way. As Christians, many times we look around the world and we say, Lord, why don't you do something? Why don't you step in? Look at the evil that's happening. Look at the, you know, the madness that's taking place in the world. We're watching businesses close down because people are doing these raid, uh, you know, shoplifting sprees. You know, they're going in, they're taking everything off the shelf. You look at them and say, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? And I think that biblically, we could conclude that things are building up, building up, building up. Just like the cries of Sodom in the day of Abram, Abraham and Lot. Remember the cries had been going for quite some time and then there was the day of judgment, the day of dealing with the issue. But anyway, Paul went on to say, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. God is sovereign. I think that's the easiest way to put it. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over uh, his work, over his miracles, over everything he does. You know, you might read the scriptures, and again, if we're not careful students of the word of God, we might read the scriptures and say, I think that Jesus healed every person that was in need that he came into contact with. Well, it just seems like something he would do. But is that what the Bible teaches? Again, we don't have to even leave the Gospel of John. In John's Gospel, John chapter 5, we see Jesus going to a pool. We're told that when he was there at the pool, John chapter 5, that there was a great multitude of sick people. A great multitude of sick people. And that he selected in his sovereignty one man who was infirmed for 38 years, remember that? And he said, um, you know, do you want to be made well? Well, I can't, you know, I mean, I've been here for a long time and, and whenever the water is stirred, you know, always, someone always cuts in front of me and jumps in first and I just can't do it. And, and Jesus raises him up, takes, tells him to take his bed and to walk. Don't you think that if Jesus would have then looked at the multitude of sick people that were gathered there and said, hey, by the way, this is your day, guys. All of you are healed as well. Don't you think that John would have recorded that? Because let's be honest, that would have been more miraculous, more of a wow factor than just one person being healed. The point I guess I'm trying to make is that we need to be careful when we read the scriptures. The Lord wants us to glean from his word he wants us to understand he's teaching biblical doctrine as we're looking at these accounts of things that are taking place. In fact, look at verse 4. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Look at that word, I. Do you, do you see the note next to the word I? It tells us that some manuscripts don't have the word I, but we. The Lord came, he had a time where he was to work the works of the Father, he who sent me. That time was coming to a close. When? When he was uh, handed over to the Gentiles and they crucified him, of course, and, and uh, 
his body was laid in the tomb for three days and he was resurrected and, and then eventually, was it 50 days later, he ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession to pray for us, for his church, for his people. Jesus said, I am the light of the world as long as I'm in the world. But Jesus said in another place, you are the light of the world, remember? Speaking of his disciples. The point is, is that the work of the Father is not over until it's over. Nehemiah and I were speaking, he was sharing something between services, and, and I think it's a, um, it is a, a topic that should be considered and, and thought through. He was saying, and we've heard this before, that sometimes he wonders if young people almost feel as if the work has already been completed. Do you know, guys, as long as the church is on the earth, as long as there are Christians on the earth, the work is not completed. I mean, the work of redemption is completed. But each generation is responsible for that generation of people who have yet to hear the gospel, need to hear the gospel, and to respond to the gospel. Every generation of believers, even though I believe that we're living in the last days that we might, in fact, be the... the um, the last generation of the church. I know people differ on their opinion concerning that. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there's still work to be done. You know, it would be wrong if we just kind of sat back and said, well, Jesus could come back today, so I'm not going to, I'm going to fold my hands, you know, I'm going to just do nothing. Well, that's being neglectful. The Lord has called us to a task. He's called us to carry out the Great Commission. The Great Commission was not just carried out by, the, by the, the 12 minus Judas, adding Paul and others. But, but the Great Commission is the gospel message that needs to go out to every generation. Look at what's happening in parts of the world. We keep hearing reports, and it's marvelous to hear these reports, that in Iran, Iran of all places, that they are experiencing a biblical gospel revival. You say, well, in Iran, Christianity is outlawed. It's against the law. Yes, of course. The revival is happening with the young people of Iran. I think that's wonderful. We hear stories of some people, young people, seeing visions of Jesus or hearing the gospel from the Lord himself. And we hear about groups of Iranian uh, people who come to faith in Christ, meeting in secret and, and all of these things. I, I think it's beautiful. Say, oh, the Lord doesn't do that anymore. I don't know what Lord you're serving. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's capable of doing whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And he's not done reaching people with the gospel, saving people, really. You know, when I was in high school, um, I had a, a friend. We had two Iranian um, students that came to our school, the exchange students. And they were from Iran. And one of the fellows, I don't remember his name because it's been so long ago. You talk about polar opposites. Um, he came over here, he drove a Pantera, 
Um, I don't know if he bought the Pantera when he moved here to the States um, or uh, it was shipped over <laughs> for the school year, I don't know. Um, I had long hair, my dress shirt was a flannel shirt, my, my good pants were uh, 901, uh, I think it's 901 Levi's, you know, the button-up fly that didn't have too many holes in it. My shoe was a flip-flop. His shoes were easily $200 dress shoes. I thought, who would dress like that in high school? But he did, you know, because he was from Iran. He had silk shirts. He, I mean, he just was like, you know, classy, you know. He obviously came from a wealthy family. And uh, for some reason, he latched onto me and, uh, you know, wanted to hang out with me. And sometimes I would, you know, when I'm sitting in that little car <laughs> and we're zooming down the street, I'm thinking, why me? You know? <laughs> but anyway, I ran. I ran. I ran. As a Christian, I ran. I ran plays a key place in, in Bible prophecy. I ran. You guys know it. I ran in Russia and Turkey and other nations are going to be drawn in as if they have a hook in their jaw against Israel. Israel, they're not going to be able to depend upon their own ability, their fighting ability. Their dependence will be solely upon the Lord. When they see what the Lord has done, the world will know that there is a God in heaven who cares for Israel, Iran. So on one hand, biblically speaking, we can say Iran, they're the enemy. They're the enemy of Israel. They're surely the enemy of the United States of America. Iran, we've heard the Ayatollahs. Israel is a little demon. United States is a big demon, the big devil, you know. There are enemies, politically. But, you know, God, I don't think, cares much about politics. God cares about people. And... We're seeing the Lord moving upon the hearts of people in the most unlikely places. So I guess all that to say, don't think that the work's done. If you're a young person, be on fire for the Lord. Be a young person who knows the word of God. Be a young person who's enthusiastic about the things of the Lord. And God will use you and your life will be blessed for it. Speaking of enthusiasm, and I know that I'm probably reading into the text. But when I read the words of this man in the 12 verses that we see his few words recorded, and then the remainder of John chapter 9, I can't help <laughs> but think that he lacked enthusiasm. Verse 9, he said, I am he. Verse 11, it says, so I went and washed and I received sight. Verse 12, I do not know. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm inflecting a, a, a certain uh, tone in my voice and, and maybe presenting something that wasn't necessarily true. But I look at him and I consider others in the gospel accounts who were in the book of Acts, who were healed, who were touched. They were beside themselves. 
He was born blind. He's never seen anyone, anything. You would think that as he made his way, surely asking for assistance, uh, the Pool of Siloam, it's around here somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, 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 come over here. His, his eyes muddy from the spittle and the, and the mud, the dirt, you know. He goes and he washes his eyes and he sees for the first time. You know what I think he saw for the first time? I think he saw himself for the first time. If he's washing his eyes in the pool, the first reflection, he sees his reflection. He sees himself for the very first time. And yet, you would think that he would be enthusiastic about what the Lord had done for him. Guys, are you paying attention to the text? When he met Jesus, he was blind. When Jesus made the mud and put it on his eyes, he was blind. When Jesus said, go, when he sent him to sent, and he went, he was blind. When he returned with his sight, are you paying attention to the text? Jesus was gone. So as, it, as the text goes on, as we'll see next week, and they're asking him, you know, who, who did this? Where is he? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, he wasn't lying. He was just, some, I have no idea. I mean, Jesus could have been leaning up against the wall, listening to the whole thing, and he wouldn't have known it because he had not seen Jesus. You say, well, why is that significant? Why is that important? I think it's important because, you know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, quote, whom, speaking of Jesus, whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, listen, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We haven't seen Jesus. Are we kind of holding off our enthusiasm until we see him? I hope not. We haven't seen him with our eyes, but we have seen him in the scriptures. And this is why it's so important as followers of Jesus Christ that we are people of the word. I say it every week. I'm like a broken record. Why do I say it every week? Because I have people that will come up and they will say things like, I'm so dry spiritually. I ask the question, are you in the word? Well, yeah, yeah, of course. I, I, I read the word. I have a Bible, you know. That's not what I ask. Are you in the word? Are you praying through the scriptures? Are they precious to you? Because see, if we're in the word, not to say that we won't face trials or difficulties or sickness or blindness or whatever it might be. You know, my mother um, became blind later on in her life, uh, but it was then that her eyes, her spiritual eyes, were open to Christ later on in her life after she became blind. 
And she was open to the gospel. And she was healed. You say, she was? I'm not speaking physical blindness. She was healed of the more important blindness, the spiritual blindness. She saw Jesus. She was zealous. My mom, a feisty gal. My mom, you know, I've said it before. My mom would usually start a sentence with the word no. <laughs> no. And then she was going to correct you, you know. And, um, but, you know, she's in her 80s. She comes to faith in Christ. And you know when someone is truly born again because something, well, many things change in them. They look the same. They have the same voice. My mom kind of, you know, her language, well, it freely flowed. And sometimes it, even after coming to faith in Christ, it freely flowed, you know. But you saw a change. You saw a desire. She went to the four. 412, 412 Church. Tom Hughes, if you watch Bible Prophecy, you know who Tom Hughes is. But she attended that church. Um, she would sit in the same location every week. And that was fortunate for her because people are creatures of habit, you know. And most people, they have their spot and they sit in their spot. So she was able to meet, like, these older women, kind of her age, that happened to be in her spot. It wasn't like the old lady spot or anything. It just happened to be that. And, and some of the ladies happened to live in her neighborhood. So, well, then she got, you know, a ride from some of these ladies to church. But there was a change. She said to me one time, Danny, I, I want to know the word of God. I can't read the word of God. I want to know the word of God. I said, Mom, I, I'll send you um, the Bible I have a little Bible. Remember those little, uh, what were they called? It was for the military. Bible stick. And I said, Mom, I'll, I'll send this to you. It's easy. It's one button on, one button off, you know. And I said, and, you know, if you need help getting to the different chapters, you know, someone will help you with that. And, um, and, and she would listen to the Bible. And then she would call me. You know, Danny... I didn't know that, so now she's talking about Bible, okay? And then, well, all of her relatives, uh, her sisters and all, uh, brother that was still living, they were Mormons. And boy, my mom would go and visit them and say, now, we need to talk about this Mormonism. Because she was feisty, everyone knew, Shirley was feisty, you know. But she was zealous. She'd say, no, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. No. Praise the Lord for that. There should be a change. There should be enthusiasm. There should be this zeal. There should be this desire. Lord, I've placed my faith in you. I, I, I realize, I mean, though it's a limited understanding, that I've been forgiven of my sins. I mean, do you ever stop and think about that? You know, I guess it depends on what kind of life you had before coming to faith in Christ. I think of my life before coming to faith in Christ. I think of some of the people, many of the people that I know in the church, their life before coming to faith in Christ. They were wrecks. You know, people might say, uh, what a loser. 
What a wreck. What a waste of a life. And then comes Jesus. And everything changes. And that same person that was a loser or a wreck in the eyes of others is able to see things that others refuse to see. It's fantastic. That's what I love about the Word of God, the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God and working in the life of the believer. You don't have to be smart. I'm smarter than you. Well, maybe in the things of the world, but let me show you what the Lord is showing me in his word. I remember a preacher, he kind of had a fall, so I won't mention his name, but he was a very sound Bible teacher. And his first pastorate was down in the south somewhere. And he would go and he would do his visitations. And he said that there was an old farmer who never, uh, I think he went to second grade, something like that. Um, he was, you know, illiterate, but he listened to the Bible. He said he would go out and he would visit that old farmer. And he said he would sit at his, his house for hours. And he said he would leave there feeling like, what am I doing pastoring this church? This old man should be pastoring the church. He knows the Lord of the scripture. And yet he's never gone to school to learn these things. It was the spirit of God. Well, that's what Paul says. That God chooses to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That's one of the miracles, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. I love it. The person who comes to faith in Christ, their life is changed because, because Christ changes everything. And I know that some of us might be quick to say, well, I don't feel like he changes everything. And there lies the problem. If we allow our feelings to dictate, <laughs> oh, there's no telling where we'll end up. If we allow our feelings to rule our life, our feelings will control everything. They will control our thoughts. I, I know I'm just rambling right now probably for some of you, but, but I look at our world and I say, what has happened? You know, I've been on this planet for for. 65 years, and, and I, I look at the world and I say, why do we have things that we never had before? Why do we have phobias that are crippling people? Why do we have people who are so fearful they refuse to leave the house? What's happening? What's going on? And I suggest that it's allowing our feelings to rule our life, to control our thoughts. Our feelings will drive our emotions if we allow them. They will determine our actions if we allow them. But Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
How do we do that? The word of God. This is why I always say be in the word. Be in the word. Be in the word, Christian. Read the word, Christian. Know the word, Christian. Love the word, Christian. You say, oh, I get so tired of hearing that. And maybe that's why you're a slave to your feelings rather than a person of faith to what is written. The fact of the matter is, is that things are bad, but they're only going to get worse. I know that you don't want to hear that. But if you're a student of the Bible, you say, that's true. They're only going to get worse, and then they're going to get really, really good. Better than anyone has ever experienced the kingdom of Christ on the earth for a thousand years. It's going to be glorious. Glorious. See, I don't believe that stuff. Because you're not in the word. <laughs> See, the Christian, regardless of how dark the days get, we just sang it. In the good times when the blessings are flowing, when the tears are, are, are running down our face and weeping and in trials, he still remains the same. We can still praise him. We can still give him thanks for who he is, if he's truly ours. And this is why we need to be people of the word. Well, it's interesting. You look at this account, and, and I just think of how, how simplistic it is. Verse 11, so I went and washed, and I, re I received sight. The man said, Jesus sent me, so I went. The man said, Jesus told me to wash, so I washed. The man said, I went, I washed, I received sight. Guys, I don't know how to make it any simpler than what the scriptures are. It always comes down to simple obedience. I don't want to read. Okay. I choose to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to give me understanding. Give me a love for your word. I'm going to read. Okay, I read it, Lord. This is what your word says. I want to believe it. Believe it. I want to believe it. Believe it. I choose to believe it. It's your word. So I choose to believe it. I'm going to stand upon it. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to allow my feelings of the moment to dictate my reality. You know, guys, we have an enemy as Christians, don't we? We know this. We have the enemy of the devil. He hates us. But we have another enemy that we live with 24 hours a day. And that's our flesh. Who's constantly lying to us. And we just listen to him. And, uh, you know, the old man, the old woman. Well, yeah, you got a good point there, you know. And, and we just kind of listen to those lies. And this is why so many of God's people are deconstructing their faith are walking away from the Lord they claim to believe in, to trust in, for their salvation and for their life. They're walking away from it so easily. And I'm thinking, you haven't seen anything yet. If these little things are causing you to stumble, to turn away, to turn your back on the Lord, what will you do when the big things come? This is a, I'm, if you will, 
like a watchman on the wall. You might not like it, but I'm saying it. Trouble is coming. We need to prepare ourselves. See, we don't shiver in fear. We stand in faith. I say all the time, be a person of the word. You know, I read the word. I was reading a few weeks back. I was reading uh, of the adventures of David and Jonathan. You know, Jonathan, what an awesome guy he was. What a, what a wonderful friend he was to David. I mean, when he says to David, David, I know. I mean, you talk about faith. David, I know you're going to sit upon the throne one day. And he said, and I'll be there right next to you. I mean, he was the heir to the throne. But Jonathan said, David, you're going to be sitting on the throne, and I'll be right there with you. Jonathan turns to his armor bearer. There's two of them. <laughs> One's carrying all the equipment. Jonathan is the, see those Philistines over there? What if? Maybe. God might. Read the text. God might. Let's do it. Whatever's in your heart, let's do it. And they go and they have this battle. And they're victorious. And they come back and they join the troops of Israel. You would think it would be a day of rejoicing. That battle spurred on a greater battle that brought about a victory. Wonderful. Praise God. We need men of faith like that. Until Papa heard that Jonathan dared took the, the, the end of his spear and stuck it in a little honey and took that honey to his mouth, not knowing the vow that no one shall eat or drink anything until the battle is won. Remember that? His biggest foe became his father. It's like, you know, dad, <laughs> battle, won, Philistines, down, Israel, up, God is blessing. You're really gonna, you're really gonna press this point? Yeah, Jonathan, you have to die. Really? Thank God for faithful men. The men who stood up and said, surely he's not dying today, O king. We need men of faith. We need women of faith. And we are made men and women of faith by abiding in his word, by being people of prayer, by standing on what the word of God says, by believing, you guys come on up, what the word of God says. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. We don't know what tomorrow has in store. But here's the thing. Remember this. When you read it in your newspaper or you see it on your television screen, remember when you see it, when you hear it, when you drop your head in dread, say to yourself, this is a test, only a test, <laughs> and stand firm, immovable, steadfast, in the Lord and in his word. Don't be a silly Christian. 
what would Jesus do without looking at the scriptures to see what Jesus would do? Because <laughs> that's falling back on our feelings. Why well, think that Jesus would do this? We saw it. We experienced it. Lord, would you stand with me? Lord, would you help us to be men and women of faith? Lord, it took faith for this blind man to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. He did, and he received his sight. It takes faith, Lord, for the sinner to say, Lord, I admit, I agree with you, I am a sinner. I am lost in my sins. I am hell-bound because of it. But I, but I do it, John 3, 16, what you said, Lord, if I believe in you, I shall not perish but have everlasting life. I, I, I'm doing that now by faith. Simple obedience. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for building our faith up when we're in your word. Faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Pray for our brothers and sisters here in this church and around the world that are weak. They're not in the word, prayer, fellowship getting together with other Christians, not committed to a local church. They're just kind of out there on their own. Pray that they would be able to put the pieces together and say, you gave us an example in Acts chapter 2. That example has not changed. It will never change until you come for your church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine to prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread. We pray, Father, that we'd continue that pattern, that heavenly, biblical pattern. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.